Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Word of God for our special meditation this Sunday is our second lesson, Romans 7, verses 15 through 25. We will read it again. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not keep doing what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who am doing it, but it is sin living in me. Indeed, I know that good does not live in me, that is, in my sinful flesh. The desire to do good is present with me, but I am not able to carry it out. So I fail to do the good I want to do. Instead, the evil I do not want to do, that is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who am doing it, but it is sin living in me. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. I certainly delight in God's law according to my inner self, but I see a different law at work in my members, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me captive to the law of sin which is present in my members. What a miserable wretch I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Dear Emily, brothers and sisters, it's not too hard to illustrate what Paul is talking about here. Anyone who has ever made a to-do list in the morning and only finished a fraction of the tasks by nighttime knows what it's like to fail to do the good things you want to do. And pretty much everyone capable of self-reflection has at some point considered words they said, a fight they had, a binge, a mess, a foolish choice, and said, Why did I do that? I didn't want to do that. A celebration this weekend of Independence Day, especially against the background of current events, also provides a good illustration. As Americans, we look to the high ideals expressed in the Declaration of Independence and enshrined in our Constitution, especially in the Bill of Rights, and say, this, this is who we are and what we stand for. That is the good that we want our nation to be and to do. Yet at the same time, we also recognize that despite our good intentions as a people and a nation, our country has far too often fallen far short of those high ideals, denying rights and freedoms to some people for bad reasons, perverting justice, subverting democracy, and, and failing to stop the bad behavior of some groups against others. Patriotism doesn't need to claim perfection. And in fact, the more one loves his or her country, the more one should be willing to see its flaws and errors so everyone can work together to correct them and bring the nation closer to its ideals. We are honest about the conflict between reality and our values so that we can improve that reality with those values. 
Now, of course, what Paul is talking about here in Romans is deeply personal and deeply spiritual. It's much more serious than undone tasks, missed goals, or careless mistakes. What he's talking about here is sin. He's talking about doing actual evil and failing to do the things that God requires. And doing these things not in ignorance, but with full knowledge of what we are doing and not doing. And it is maddening because it is not what we want. Like Paul, we struggle even to understand how we can keep on doing what we hate and not doing what we love. But that is our wretched reality. Because once we become Christians, whether as infants or as little children or as grown adults, We are each given a new nature in Christ that desires only to do what pleases God and aligns perfectly with His will. But at the same time, as long as we live in these bodies on this earth, we each still have a sinful nature that wants the exact opposite. So we are always at war. And the sinful flesh wins some battles, far more than we'd like to admit. The things that we said in our heads, or maybe even out loud, after our parents scolded us for not doing what we said we'd do, were not God-pleasing and definitely not respectful. Telling someone that she did not actually experience what she actually experienced because that truth made us uncomfortable or look bad. Well, that that was unloving and evil. Setting aside time to binge-watch the new season of your favorite show while eliminating the time you would otherwise have spent in prayer and Bible study, well, that dishonored God and undercut your commitment to spiritual growth. Seeking revenge, telling lies, watching pornography, putting the pursuit of pleasure or money ahead of the Lord in your life, ditching your responsibilities because you just didn't feel like following through, hurting other people, coveting what does not belong to you, cheating on schoolwork or taxes. All of these are things that we do. And all of these are the results of sin living in us. And they are not little things, because all such evil leads us away from Christ and toward the devil. Those urges are strong. And sometimes they catch us completely unprepared, but they, they are always with us, because we just can't shake our sinful flesh, not this side of the grave. Sin lives with us like a a troublesome tenant whom we have evicted time after time, but who keeps creeping his way back in to make himself at home in our hearts. We want we want to wake up in the morning and do nothing 
accept what pleases God and serves those around us. We want to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Our desire all day is to tell the truth, to show mercy and compassion, to help others protect their life, health, property, and reputation, to spend time with our Creator in Bible study, prayer, and meditation, and and to tell others the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But sin is with us all day and all night, sleeping and waking, speaking and working. It pulls and pushes and nags and mocks and tempts and trolls. Some days we are strong against it. Other days, not so much. And so we make Paul's complaint our own. What a miserable wretch I am. We get tired from the struggle, injured from the war, disgusted at the things we have done, weary from seeing the good desires and intentions of our new selves spoiled and foiled by the evil of our old selves. And what can we do? Who will rescue us from this body of death? The answer to that, Emily, is the most important thing to remember here. Paul has not shared his personal struggle with sin because he's looking for sympathy or just wants to complain. He has done so because he knows that every Christian fights the same war inside and because he wants us all to see the solution. Now, it is natural normal even, to assume that the solution to this problem would be, well, just try harder to do good and not do bad. But that doesn't work. It didn't work to save us from our sins in the first place, so why why would we think that just trying harder will help after we've been saved? Sure, more effort will help with some things on some days, but sin will always find its way back in through a through a back door or an open window, and it will then show itself with something new. So the solution we need is the one that Paul gives us, which is the same solution to every sin in every situation. And that solution is... Jesus. He is not just the Savior we need to escape hell and become Christians in the first place. He is the Redeemer we require to rescue us from every wretched reality. The good news of God's grace in Christ, the gospel, it is, it's not made for a one-time application. Instead, it is something to be applied liberally and regularly, every time we fail to do the right thing, every time we do the wrong thing, every time we are wearied from the war inside us and need rest, and every time our sinful flesh rises up and demands to define us. So remember, Emily, 
It is your rescuer, Jesus, who defines you. Not your desires, no matter how deep or heartfelt they might be. You have probably heard it many times already, and you will hear it many more in your life ahead. Trust your feelings. Recognize that as the absurdity that it is. As a Christian, as someone who has studied the Bible and who has looked at your own heart and knows what Paul tells us here, as a Christian, you understand that your feelings cannot be trusted as is because your sinful flesh has a horrid history of twisting, turning, corrupting, and misdirecting your emotions. And the desires that sin cries loudest for you to satisfy are not the desires you as a redeemed child of God want to satisfy. Listen to your feelings, yes. Take them into account when making decisions, yes. But trust, trust only in your Lord. Trust in Jesus who gave his life on the cross to save you. Trust in your Creator who lovingly made and protects you. Trust in the Spirit who forgives, guides, and grows you through the means of grace. And here's the thing. When we trust in and give thanks to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, as the war between our two natures rages within us, we are then moved and inspired to try harder. Only now... Now, we are not doing it in our own strength or with our own wisdom, but in and with His. We go to His Word for guidance. We go to our baptisms to remember who we are and what He has done for us. We go to the Lord's table for His body and blood to receive forgiveness, life, and salvation. And all of this strengthens our new self strengthens us in our true identity as God's children, strengthens us in the battle against the old self, and it strengthens us when we feel weary and weak and burdened and need rest. It gives us the tools and the power to defeat sin whenever and wherever it rises up in our hearts, minds, and lives. And this is what confirmation is all about. Being made firm in your faith so that you can live the life of a Christian and please God as you desire to do. You do not make the commitments you make today for your parents, for me, or for the congregation. You make them to God asking for his help, and you make them for yourself for the rest of your life because there is nothing more important, literally nothing more important than holding on to your faith in Jesus, no matter how sin or Satan might attack you, so that the salvation he won you will always be yours. And at the end of it all, he will welcome you into your glorious new home in heaven. It is all about grace. What your confirmation verse, John 3.16, should remind you of all your life. 
Without God's love for us, shown in the gift of his Son, we would all perish, go deservedly to hell forever. But because he loved us, he provided the only possible solution to our problem of sin, a Redeemer, a Redeemer who would pay the price necessary to set us free. Jesus, his Son, who gave his own life and blood and satisfied God's wrath so that all of our guilt was washed away. And now we are not only free of our sin and guilt, but we have eternal life. That same love that saved you from death and hell and gives you heaven will sustain and strengthen you in every struggle against your sinful nature against Satan, and against society when it seeks to pull you away from God and His truth and toward the world and its lies. Trust that grace. Trust Jesus. And He will make you strong, firm, and steadfast and give you rest. This is our prayer for you and for all. Amen. Please rise. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.